Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel podcast. As a vibrant part of life at TWU, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Good morning, Trinity Western. Uh, My name is Dr. Temple Smith. I live in Holland, Michigan, and I am thrilled to be with you today. I am a sociologist zealous doer of the word, expository teacher of the gospel, possessing the ability to examine scripture, present plainly its meaning, what it says, and how to apply it to our lives. The word of God is intended to offer guidance and instruction for living the life in which God intends and Christ died for. In addition to being studied, The word of God is meant to be applied to our lives. We're meant to be doers of the word. The word should offer an autocorrect for our decision-making, our attitudes and behavior. We're going to be in the book of James today. And you've been listening to previous chapel messages and plowing into the word here in James. And we learned earlier in James 1 that anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. Could you imagine that? We want to be the opposite. We want to consider God's word, remember what it says, apply it to our lives. And I believe that we're primarily positioned to be doers and studiers of the word now more than ever. So I'm inviting you to join me now as we enter into the presence of God to quiet ourselves, relinquish distractions and pulls and tugs and cares and worries lingering from yesterday and emerging today. Position yourself to hear entirely that God may speak to you about his word and its application to your life. Uh, Let's pray. God, cause our time with you today to expose areas of our lives in which we've not been sensitive to your voice, where we've overlooked your guidance, bypassed your instruction intentionally or intentionally. We bring the totality of ourselves into your presence now without distraction, without multitasking without multiple web browsers being open or hindrances that you can speak to us and we would hear and be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the book of James, James writes in order to encourage his readers to live consistently with what they've learned in Christ. He wants his readers to mature in their faith 
and Christ by living what they say they believe. James encourages God's people to act like God's people. The pages of James are filled with direct commands to pursue a life of holiness. He makes no excuses for those who do not measure up. In the mind of this early church leader, Christians evidence their faith by walking in certain ways and not in others. In chapter one, James, James admonishes us to be patient in trouble. In chapter two, he calls us to be doers of the word. In chapter three, where we're going to be spending our time today, looking at verses one through 12, James urges us to pay attention to the tongue or the words that we speak. If I had to use the title today, reflective of James 3, 1 and 12, it would be watch your mouth. Colloquially speaking, this cliche means to be careful about one says. When I was growing up, and I was raised by a Southern grandmother, if you were on your way to trouble by saying something sharply, by speaking in a tone you shouldn't, uh, by, by presenting an attitude in your articulation with whatever you were saying, my grandmother would say, you need to watch your mouth. Similarly, James, with that kind of conviction, with that kind of compassion, he is cautioning us to do the same thing. In fact, James chapter 3, 1 through 12 has a title called Taming the Tongue, and he is cautioning us to do just that. Uh, James chapter 3, 1 through 12 in our NIV reads this way. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault is what they say is perfect. I just want to pause here for a quick second. Perfect in this text means complete or entire. In Hebrews, it means mature. It means to come to a full finished state of maturity. So he says here, anyone who's never at fault in what they say is mature, full, complete, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise 
and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That is chapter James. Uh, that's James chapter 3, 1 through 12. In the text, James invites our attention to three different examples, evoking this powerful imagery of small things that can evoke big consequences. A bit in the mouth of a horse, a ship rudder, and a small spark igniting a forest fire. One controls, the bit in the horse's mouth controls in, in, in this horse. One steers, a rudder steers, moves, turns the entire ship. And one spreads, a small spark, James is letting us know, can ignite a whole forest and cause a forest fire. James is letting us know that our words produce consequences and can steer our thoughts, control our lives, and spread to other areas. Consider what James is saying. He says our tongue is like a bit in the mouth of a horse. Did you know that the average horse weighs 840 up to 2,220 pounds? It's a big horse, big animal, mammoth animal. Yet, if you put a small child on this large animal and hand him over the buckled straps in which the bit and reins are attached, this child can control this horse. Likewise, our small words steer big matters. Think of your words like the bit in the horse's mouth moving and directing your entire person with what you say. What have you been saying to yourself? What have you been saying about yourself? If you were moving in the direction of those words, would the course be good? Think about a ship rudder. James says it can steer an entire ship. Your words create a GPS navigational plan in the realm of the spirit, steering your day, your thoughts, your life. Have you ever said out loud, today's just not gonna be a good day, or I don't see how I'm ever gonna catch up. I hate being so busy. I'll never get any sleep. You are steering your beliefs, actions, and ultimately consequences with your words. You are steering your beliefs, actions, and ultimately the consequences with your words. I know some of you are thinking it can't be that simple, that I can speak doom uh, or, or life blessings over my life and it'll come to pass. Well, James tends to think so. Well, I can't think positive all the time. That just isn't real life. Well, the only real life we have is hidden in Christ Jesus and further, Proverbs tells us in 6 and 2, we're snared by our words, not our thoughts. 
So think about this. Proverbs 6 and 2 says we're snared by the words, not our thoughts. Thoughts will come. And we're instructed to deal with thoughts and imaginations by casting the bad ones down. We are not to language and articulate all thoughts. We're snared by the words, not the thoughts. You can control your words. Lastly, James mentions a small spark. A spark can be missed. You ever at a bonfire or a campfire and embers are burning and they can go for a long time. And at times it looks like nothing is burning, but should I uh, miss an ember, miss a tiny spark and send something into that pile of assumed embers, I can reignite a fire. Unassuming in their appearance, but they have the ability to cre create large scale catastrophic consequence. One little spark. I believe James points our attention uh, to this spark and its, and its ability to inflame and spread across an entire forest because our words can spread and engulf other areas of our life for better or for worse. I remember when I was in youth ministry, I overheard two kids talking one day. And one kid says to the other, you really need to stop saying you're afraid of the dark. Stop saying that. Stop saying you're afraid of the dark. And the other kid says, well, I am. I'm afraid of the dark. He says, stop saying you're afraid of the dark because pretty soon you'll be afraid of the dusk too. And listening to this kid's conversation, it reminded me of this passage that our words create an emotive space for us. We used to say these things as a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, words hurt. Words hurt. That's absolutely not true. Words hurt. Words can create a consequence. They can create an avalanche of emotions. They can draw and redirect us back to memories. They can ignite feelings of pain or sensations of pleasure. Words, our words, our words are very powerful. Hear this. Words and information spread. They ignite like that spark that James is talking about. They create energy, creating a climate that compels action. Here's where religion and science agree. Words are powerful. They are shapers of perception, initiators of action. When you speak something out, you're giving life to what you're saying. Your life will move in the direction of your words. In Proverbs 18 and 21, it says, we're going to eat the fruit of our words. You're going to have that over time. You can create that. Words are shapers of perception. They initiate action. Our tongue controls the direction of our life. They can change our life. Words are powerful. I want you to consider the power of words. Consider this. Listen to this. When two people stand on the altar and say the words, I do, their lives instantly change by the power of their words. They are initiating, they are shaping, they are creating a joint reality with those two words. I do. They're entering into a new reality, both by legal legislation and what they're saying out of their mouths. When a judge says, 
not guilty. Those two small words can reshape the trajectory of a person's life. When a doctor says cancer free, they've just reinstated the joy of wellness, the hope for longer life and vitality. Our words evoke the authority of Christ shaping our lives and reality. Words are God's creative instrument, his spiritual technology that he used to bring into existence the very world in which we're living. We are possessors of that same ability. In Proverbs 18 and 21, again, it says the tongue has the power of life and death, and we're going to have the fruit of it. You're planting seeds when you talk. Are you planting the right seeds? If you want oranges, you can't plant cactus seeds. If you esteem yourself, you won't say negative things about yourself. You will not allow emotions, impatience, or temper to cause you to say the wrong things, even if you thought it. Reroute your words and say the right thing. If we know all this, some of you are not strangers to this passage. Some of you have heard and considered these scriptures before. If we heard this and we understand this, uh, why do we slip back into harmful cyclic patterns of injurious speaking or failing to say the right things? I'm going to offer you three reasons that I think we slip back into these harmful cyclic cycles of saying the wrong things, even with the knowledge of God's word. Here's the first one. Anything that does not produce immediate consequence is sometimes easier to dismiss. You would all agree with me that we need eight hours of sleep a night. You might all agree with me that drinking water and staying hydrated is really important. You might all agree with me that a balanced diet thwarts obesity. But when I ask how many of you daily are doing uh, these things, how many of you every single day without fail are being hydrated, getting eight hours of sleep and eating a balanced diet, uh, what we know and what we do can differ in this space. Uh, and furthermore, we tend not to pay attention to these things. We all know staying hydrated is important. We might not drink the water we should, but if you do that for a very long time and push yourself into a state of dangerous chronic dehydration, well, there will produce consequences that you cannot ignore. But anything that doesn't produce an immediate consequence in certain fears of our life, it's easier for us to put that on the back burner. And we don't consider that. We dismiss it. The Bible says we're going to eat the fruit of what we say. So when we say something uh, that we shouldn't say, there's not always an immediate consequence. The Bible says we'll eat the fruit of what we say. To have fruit, there must be planted seed. After some time, you'll have fruit from that seed. So in the farmer's world, uh, they plant seed and they don't get an immediate harvest. But at some point, if they keep watering that seed, tending to that seed, nurturing that seed, at some point, they're going to get a harvest. Your words plant seeds in your life that you will eventually harvest for, for better or worse. 
Can you think right now? Think about this. You can even take this literally. If you don't already have a pen and paper, if you aren't already taking any notes, you can think about this very literally. Can you think about the things that you've said over the last past two weeks? Interactions you've had, exchanges you've had, words that you said, conversations you've been involved in. Think about what you said over the last past two weeks. What condition would your life be in once those seeds are harvested? The word is errorless and it's potent. Eventually, our Bible tells us we're going to eat the fruit of these words. What have you planted in the last two weeks? Would you be very satisfied with that harvest? Or would you want to reroute some things, change some things? We cannot dismiss what we don't see immediately because sooner or later, we will see what we say. Here's the second point, reasons that it's so easy to slip back into injurious cycles with words that we say. We've grown up in, in environments where words were weaponized and used the wrong way. You were socialized by it. You came to age by attitudes, values, and beliefs that shape how you speak and how you talk and what you think. Perhaps you grew up in a family where insults, belittling, and offensive sarcasm was normalized. Um, you speak this way natively because you were taught to. It was modeled. Well, that's just that Smith humor. Well, I come from a long line of warriors. My grandmother worried. Her mother worried. I mean, we just worry. We talk about that. We worry about some things. Well, you know, Grandpa Joe was just a complainer. He never had anything nice to say. Well, the Bible lets us know that the tongue of the righteous, and that's you and me, because we're in Christ Jesus' choice silver, not just valuable, but carefully chosen. You are accountable for what you say. You can speak differently. You can choose your words differently. You can set a different example. You can model a better way. Uh, our last reason here how we slip into cycles of interest speaking, even though we have some knowledge of the word of God. We don't want to consistently engage in the effort that watching our mouth requires. What you talk about reveals how you spend your time in some cases, what you've been exposed to. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you've not fully submitted your life to Christ, giving him access to your time and the versatility of options regarding how he would like to develop a relationship uh, with you and how that relationship should go, uh, then you're leading a compartmentalized Christian life at best or empty lip service to God. How available are you? Your talk changes when your mind does. The more time you spend studying God's word in prayer, being in the presence of the Lord, it's easier to control an uncontrollable tongue. Our words are shapers of perception. They are initiators of action. Make today the day you decide 
to speak excellent and right things. I love this scripture. Proverbs 8 and 6 says, uh, make today the day that you'll speak excellent and right things. Make today the day you'll say what David says in Psalm 141 and 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Let's come into the maturity of Christ by being mindful of what we say. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship together with you soon at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel and at TWU Student Ministries. Much love.